0: The scripture for today's sermon comes from Mark 4, 21 through 34. The word of God speaks to us. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said to them, The kingdom of God is as if a man scattered seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear then the full grain in the ear but when the grain is ripe at once he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come and he said to them with what can we compare the kingdom of god or what parable shall we use for it it is like a grain of mustard seed which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all of the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his disciples, he explained everything. This is God's word to us.
1: All right, thank you so much, Kristen. Good morning. It's good to be with y'all. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here at Frontline. We do team teaching and uh, I, I get to do a chunk of that. And we are continuing in the gospel of Mark. If you're new to the church, um, we have decided together to uh, really go through this, this first gospel written. And uh, we're a little ways in now. We're going to be in Mark with a few breaks between now and the beginning of 2022. And, and we're going to continue in the fourth chapter today. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to get them out. And turn there as we continue to look at what Kristen just read. And as usual, I want to pray together. Um, me for you, you for me. So let's, let's pray before we dive in. We thank you for this moment, Father. And whether uh, we, we know for certain what we believe about you, Jesus, or we're just here open and exploring um, what the Bible has to say and, and who you are. We, we know that you know where we are today, and believe, I believe it's it's not here uh, in this moment. We're not here by accident because you have things you want to say to us and, and beauty that you want to show us and, and love that you have to give us and truth that you want us to see. And so I pray that I would not get in the way of that, but I would help point us to the beauty of who you are and the, the power, the glory of who you are, what that means for us, what your kingdom's like. And so help my friends. May we all have Open ears, open eyes, soft hearts, and be ready to receive anything that you have to give for us, because we know you're gracious and you're good. We pray, Jesus, this in your name, God's people said, amen. Amen. So our, our mission at Frontline is to love God, love people, push back darkness. Hopefully you, you hear that a lot around here. We didn't make that up. It's not original, thank God. It would probably be concerning if it was like, here's a mission of a church, and it's nothing you've ever heard of. It needs to be old and ancient and, and, and rooted in God's word. And it's just a, a kind of a marriage of the great commandments to, to love God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and also... Um, uh, to love your neighbor as yourself, and, and the great commission to, to make disciples, to proclaim the, the goodness of who Jesus is and what he's, what he's done, to love God, love people, and push back darkness. And at times, to try to live out that mission is really hard. It can be discouraging. It can be disheartening. It can feel really confusing. We can find ourselves, um, you know, disappointed at what, we tend to see even depressed at discouragements and discouragements and failings and wounds. We can ask questions like, what's the point of all this? Or everything that I'm doing, the, the good I'm trying to do, the ways that I'm following God, the ways I'm trying to, to love others, is it really even making a difference? Or in frustration, when things seem unclear, we can, we can ask, will I ever understand and grasp God is and what that means. And if we find ourselves asking really hard questions like this, we're, we're not alone. I think it's important to recognize if we're honest, at times we're all going to find ourselves in these hard places asking these hard questions. But when we look at Scripture, we see that we're not alone as well, and often. The disciples of Jesus, his followers, they they found themselves in places like this as well, asking, hey, what are we doing? Does this matter? Will I ever understand? Is this really making a difference? And even already in these first four chapters of of, of Mark, we've seen the disciples have to be confronted with things that, that are hard to process, hard to understand. There are Huge crowds coming to hear Jesus speak. And as we looked at last week, this crowd that's hearing him deliver this teaching is probably the biggest of his entire ministry. And yet at the same time, his family, his, his brothers, his mom just came and, and tried to bring him home because they said he's lost his mind. And there's people being reached and impacted, people that are broken and feel far from God, who are longing to hear good news and receive grace and hope. People, to use Jesus' words, that are sick, that need a physician. And at the same time, there's people that perhaps we as disciples, we can imagine, we looked up to and held in esteem the religious elite, the Pharisees, and they are increasingly opposed and against Jesus. And we can be confused because there are moments where it seems like Jesus' ministry is having impact and and great crowds are are gathering, but it seems like the bigger the crowd, Jesus, in a confusing way, seems to increase the difficulty and the confrontation of his teaching and is really okay with those big crowds going away at times and so the disciples we can imagine are asking what's going on Jesus what are you doing and they were confused about what it meant to to follow Jesus as their king and go about building in partnership with him and in obedience to him his kingdom and in the midst of that confusion, what we see in this passage that Kristen read is, is Jesus bringing clarity. And he's bringing clarity and he's using the same tool to teach and proclaim truth that, that we began to look at last week. This week, he's gonna continue teaching in parables to bring insight, to shine light as to who he is, the type of king he is and the type of kingdom that he's bringing. And as a reminder, if you weren't here last week, a parable, it's a, it's a mash-up of two words that literally means to like lay beside and, and compare for the sake of, of teaching. It's a, it's a tool of clarity in many ways. Hey, I want to understand something, so we're going to compare a few things to deepen our understanding. But in the, in the ministry of Jesus, a parable was richer and more meaningful than just that. The illustration we used last week was that it was like an EKG. It was like a picture of a heart. And God would use a parable in the ministry of Jesus to reveal a heart, to reveal whether a heart was was hard and closed off to God or or soft and receptive to God. And another thing that that I want to bring up this morning, that a parable is something that on the outside maybe looks plain or ordinary, but when you enter in, it's something altogether different. I remembered this morning. Um, something that happened probably 12 years ago um, where I was invited to a friend's house. The friend, his name was Shane, and he lived in a condo around May and 63rd. I'd just gotten married, and, and Shane was quite a bit older than me. Um, he was a single guy. And you have expectations when you're invited over to a single guy's house. I expected sports posters on the wall and the smell of sweat and a, a you know... Um, an Xbox and an old couch, right? And so I go to Shane's door and he opens it up. And on the outside, it's a very plain looking condo. But man, when that door opened and I stepped in, it was jarring. He had marble floors, there was a fountain in his home. It was not meant to be inside a house. It was meant to be outside, but it was like the centerpiece of this entryway. And it was structurally concerning because he lived on the second floor. I'm like, I don't know if your landlord is okay with this being in here, right? He served me coffee from a goblet. And that's the only way to describe it. It was not, I, I think it was 500 years old. It was like this, this five-pound glass, you know? And it was you just palatial. You walked in, and it was beautiful. On the outside, it was very ordinary. Ordinary, but on the inside it was it was extraordinary. That's how a parable is. We're invited to enter in and see that they're they're more meaningful and rich and beautiful than they are on the surface. In fact, maybe a better illustration is we let them enter into us and we see the beauty of a parable. And so that's what we're going to aspire to do here in the moments, in the next few moments. We're going to enter into the teaching of Jesus, pray that the, the teaching and the truth would enter into our hearts so we could get clarity into what his kingdom is like and receive clarity as to the type of king he is receive some good news. So three parables, Christian read, we're going to look at three points. The first one is this, a lamp under a basket. That's the first parable today that we're going to look at, a lamp under a basket. Let's look at the verse again, verse 21. And Jesus said to them, he asks a question, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? So you can almost imagine kind of the chuckle of the crowd because he's asking a very rhetorical question right the the obvious answer is no you don't put a lamp under a basket or under a bed, you, you want to raise it up. You want to put it on a stand. I think I have a picture here of a of an ancient lamp. This was 2,000-year-old uh, oil lamp that was uh, archaeologists found in the region of Galilee. And this is actually one of the most common finds that archaeologists will, will dig up. Are these, these sometimes very plain, sometimes they're more ornate, but they're all uh, they all serve the same purpose. You can see the hole on the top where the oil's poured into and, and kind of the spout that the wick comes out of where the soaked wick in oil is lit. And in this time in history, that at night, you don't turn on a flashlight, but you, you light this oil lamp and you set it up on a stand and so that your room at night can be flooded with light. It's a, it's a pretty simple reality. The light is lifted up to push back darkness. But in this parable that's so simple, Jesus is is talking about something really rich and beautiful because he's talking about himself. A a literal translation of this text isn't uh, just a lamp is brought. If you just plainly read it in the Greek, it reads the lamp comes. It's not just any lamp that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about actually himself. He's speaking of who he is and what he's come to do, that he's the light that has come into the world. And broken into darkness. And we see this throughout the, the Gospels, the story of Jesus and who he is and his ministry in the New Testament. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus speaks about himself and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. At the beginning of that gospel, his friend John writes about Jesus, and he says this in chapter 1, verse 4, speaking of Jesus, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I've been asking myself this question this week. And it's a question I would invite you to ask yourself. Where is Jesus under something in my life? Is he under my anxiety because of current events? Is he, is he hidden under the basket of my right to hold on to an offense and withhold forgiveness from someone? Is he under the bed of my busyness where he's not being lifted up and exalted in my life, but he's being neglected and forgotten because I have too much and too many important things to do? See, the beauty of this parable right off the bat is it's holding up the truth that Jesus is not subordinate to anything. He's supreme over everything, and he's the light by which we live and see. He is the lamp, the light. God is revealing, enlightening, defeating darkness in Jesus. But what's interesting in this moment is that when we continue to see what Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey, but in, in this moment in my ministry that there is a a hiddenness, a veil to to Jesus' purposes. He goes on to say in in verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. See, Jesus is kind of contrasting how his disciples are experiencing him in this very moment and how they'll come to know and see him as his ministry continues. The way I thought about it this week is that Jesus is really in this moment like a wrapped present I hope that's not belittling or degrading, but it's just, I like getting gifts. and So it's a helpful analogy for me, that he's, he's like a, a wrapped gift. He's there, he's great, people are excited, but even those closest to him, even those that are holding him in their hands, they, they, they're not quite aware of how amazing he is. But Jesus is saying here, hey, I'm not going to stay hidden they're, they're elements of who I am in my ministry, my identity, that are secret, but in God's timing, they're going to be revealed fully, and you're going to see just the beauty. You're going to see the good news. You, you think that some awesome stuff is happening in me, but you don't have a clue yet as to how deep and rich and powerful what God is actually doing in and through me is. That begins to be revealed This gift begins to be opened in new ways when Jesus is on the cross. Mark 15, 39, there's this Roman soldier there at the foot of the cross after the veil is torn and Jesus breathes his last breath. And this Roman soldier says, truly, this man is the son of God. That gift is opened in a a more fully beautiful way upon the resurrection when Jesus rises from the dead. At the end of Mark, Mark 16, 6, listen to words of an an angel to Mary Magdalene. He says, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples. Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. This is a gift being opened better gift than we could ever imagine. Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. That Jesus is saying, hey, someday I'm going to lay my life down for you in love. And my life isn't going to be taken from me. I'm going to give it freely as an atonement, as a sacrifice, as the redemption you need to be freed of your sin. But I will not stay dead. After three days, I'm going to rise again, vindicated, victorious over sin and Satan and death. And because I am going to rise, you and me will be able to rise to newness of life. This is the secret and the hiddenness of the ministry of Jesus revealed gifts being opened. And, and we today, we can look back and celebrate that, but we have hope. We have gifts in this moment that we anticipate opening because Jesus came once to give his life and to rise, but he's going to, to come again. And when he comes again, we're going we're gonna to see him face to face. This is what Paul talks about, the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. He says, now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. That that hope and anticipation and faith that the disciples were hearing in this parable, hey, there's good news, there's, there's deeper revelation, there's more things to see, and there's, there's things that at, in the moment we can't fully comprehend, but we trust that God is a God who keeps his promises. And just like Jesus said he was gonna lay down his life and rise, he did that, and he told us he was gonna come back, he's going to do that, and we're gonna see him face to face. We're gonna see things clearly and know fully just as we're known. But in the meantime, Jesus gives us some direction. Look at verse 23. In light of this parable, he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he said to him, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. Verse 25, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Seems confusing. What does this mean? What is Jesus saying? Well, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. I like the way that Eugene Peterson in, in the message translates that. He says, hey, are you listening? Are you really listening? Are you listening with more than just your ear, but your very heart? We talked about that last week, right? There's this invitation all throughout the gospel of Mark to listen in a way that we're not just hearing, but we're embracing, we're receiving, we're obeying, and Jesus deeply wants us to listen in that way because life itself depends on it. He's saying, hey, I'm the lamp. I'm the light of your life. Hear me. Listen to me. Receive what I'm saying, because if, if you neglect this light, if you, if you don't raise it up, if you don't receive me as exalted, but you, you hide me away, Jesus is saying, you risk losing me. Look at, at verse 24. He says, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I think this is the idea. Jesus is saying, if you hear, if you embrace, if you believe, if you obey, even more truth will enter into your life from the very heart of God. There isn't a limit to it. There isn't isn't a capacity of the heart to get too much truth. And if you want to receive the truth of God, if you're open, if you're hungry, he's going to give you more and more light and love and truth. But in contrast, if we reject God's word, if we reject Jesus, if we have a hard heart to his light and his love and his truth, even the little truth we may have a hold of ultimately will lose, grow dull towards truth and and harden and walk away. In many, many commentaries, they they use the same illustration to help people understand this, and it was helpful to me And the the illustration they use and the parallel they bring out is is exercise, right? Anna's been making fun of me lately because I I don't run often, but when I run, I run like I run often. (laughs) I'm going to be 40 this year, right? And so I won't run for months, and then I'll go run like five or six miles, (laughs) <laughs> and she 's been saying that i 'll catch up with you and i 'm coming to find out it 's catching up with me right If you see me waddling on a Sunday, you know what has happened right it 's just like you can't you can 't do that you can 't there 's a thing called like couch to five k not just like yeah, that 's not literal it 's a process you 're supposed to take it step by step, and yet yeah, I feel good i 'm like oh i can I can handle this and then i 'm coming to find out that like I just once I hit that first mile or second mile, it's just a different experience than I once had in, the, in younger days, right? Parallel being this, like if you actually are someone who's disciplined about exercising and, and, and working out, you tend to build on that progress. And if you're stewarding your health and you're exercising in a way, it's going to, you're going to build on that. It's like, it's like compound interest and you're going to get uh, just, uh, it's going to, the health is going to beget health, Right? In a beautiful way. And yet, if you find yourself doing what I find myself doing, and you can neglect your health in ways, it's not like it's just still there waiting for you, but there's atrophy, you you lose even the little that you had. And there's a spiritual principle to that too, that we can be complacent in our spiritual health, and and we lose maybe what we had. And I, I see this in lives so often. That, that there's like a measure of truth that's received and people become really complacent with just that. I, I have a, a surface level understanding of some truth or God and there's an open invitation and a hunger for God to actually give you more, but, but people are, are closed off towards that and neglect the light of the, their life, Jesus. And as, as a result, even that little truth that they did have begins to slip away. They neglect the light and hide it in their life. So I think the lesson here is to stay after it. Let's lift him up. If you're even exploring Christianity for the first time, there's an invitation here for you. Hey, just stay after it. The wonders and the mystery of God are not hidden from you. They're here for you to be found, like a gift to be opened. And if you've been following Jesus for a long time, the the good news never is old news. There's, There's depth and richness and truth about God to be discovered. We can never get to the bottom of just how good he is. So That's parable one, the lamp and the stand. Parable two is a parable of the growing seed. Let's look at Mark 4, verse 26, and Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. See, last week we talked about the parable of, of really the soils Right? We talked about different soils that represented different heart postures and their, their receptivity to the good news of Jesus. But this parable isn't so much about the soils. It's specifically about the seed, the word of God. And it begins looking at the, the sower or farmers. What do they do? They get up early, they plow, they plant, they might prune, they might even nurture, but they can't make the seed grow. This is the point of this parable. The seed grows by itself. The Greek phrase of that by itself, it's where we get our word automatically. It's happening without human effort or intervention. It's happening in a way that we're supposed to look at and be in awe of the power of God. The parable is saying, hey, if you plant a seed, you just back up and you watch what happens. God's sovereign, He's building his kingdom, he's changing lives, He's leading his church. And he invites us to, to participate that as sons and daughters that he loves, but he's not dependent upon us in all of that work. There's a big difference. See, this parable, I think, at, at the heart of it, is about humility, about patience, about our place and limitations. Now remember, it's coming off the heels of last week, a parable which was about being really faith-filled and sowing seed. It was about Jesus, but it was also an invitation for us to proclaim the gospel. And so this parable isn't about being apathetic or not caring. It's just about as we work hard and proclaim truth and we're faithful, that we have hearts that trust, hearts that are patient, knowing God's at work. Best I can tell, if you take a a grain seed from the moment you plant it to the moment that you harvest, the timeline's going to be about like five or six months. And what I was processing this week is that there's just like not a lot of things in my life that I have to wait on for five or six months, right? It doesn't escape me that we just had baby dedications, and so you mamas really know in a beautiful way, a costly way, a precious way, what it means to wait, right? Right? It's a long nine months. Sometimes those nine months feel like 29 months, I know. I've had four of those babies. But in my life, there's not a lot of things I have to wait very long for. Most things in our culture we get right away. If I have a question, I can ask Siri. If I have a a hunger, I can order food to be delivered to my house. Or at worst, I'm a, a... quarter of a mile drive away from a grocery store. where They have everything I can imagine. I have this dilemma often in my life where I'm buying a book and the dilemma is, do I want to download it now immediately or can I wait 24 hours for it to be delivered to my house, right? This is, I'm, these aren't moral judgments on these things. I, I frankly like all of those things, right? But the problem comes when when kind of the waters that we swim in, in our current culture, of, of immediate satisfaction that we can project the posture of that heart where I get what I want, when I want, just how I want. And we take that expectation and we place it on our ministry or the kingdom. And we say, hey, when I seek to do good, I want to see immediate responses from that. When I sow a seed, I'm going to plant it and I want tomorrow to reap a harvest. And there's this kind of prideful, if we're honest, immediacy that we expect. And I think what this parable invites us to is, is more of an ancient, patient waiting. A humble approach to God's kingdom. See, I think the temptation is to to try to somehow fast-track results and efforts of mission. Maybe we just need to transplant the seed. Maybe we need to water it more and more. It's not growing just how I think it should. We have a... A garden in our backyard we have like nine raised beds, and Anna takes like the the primary care of of those gardens and yet I built two for myself a couple years ago because I wanted to raise watermelons, and I have murdered so many watermelons. <laughs> I literally caused them to explode because i 'm I'm I'm so impatient with the growth that I overwater I give them too much water, and i 've done it three years in a row. You think I would learn my lesson, right? And that's the type of stuff this parable's talking about. Like there's there's a a trap that we can fall into, where we can not trust God that he's doing his work and changing hearts and growing, and we can overfunction and feel like, hey, I need to step on the throne of God to make sure this happens. And we become disgruntled or frustrated and we think he's absent. And the reality is he's at work. He's just at work in his time, not our time. So what are we to do? We're called to to be humble and patient and trust God who's faithful. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, the full-grown grain, and then the harvest. I think about my children, and I'm really aware of of the gift they are. And according to the 127th Psalm, the call I have to raise them up to be the women and the men God is calling them to be, to pour into them, to be like uh, an archer that shoots them out on mission, and yet... That there's a a true humbling reality that I cannot change their heart, only God can change their heart. I'm just invited to, to, to love and to water and to trust and to pray. But I can't produce belief in them or maturity in them on my own. It's a work of God. It's an invitation to know my place, but also celebrate God's place. This is how R.C. Sproul, my favorite pastors and writers, theologians, he puts it in his commentary on Mark. Speaking of this parable specifically, he says, that's the way the kingdom is. We often do not know what God does with our service. We plant the seed, we go to bed, and while we sleep, God germinates the seed so that life grows and eventually produces a full harvest. Then God reaps for his own glory. We simply need to forget about trying to see the fruit of our service immediately. It doesn't matter if we ever see it. We're called to take the light and let it shine then let God do with it whatever he pleases. It's the second parable, the parable of the growing seed, which brings us to our third parable, our final parable, the parable of the mustard seed. Let's read it together again, verse 30. And Jesus said... With what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make their nests in its shade. So most of us are already aware of this, that the, the mustard seed is incredibly tiny. It's not the smallest seed on earth. Jesus isn't trying to make some scientific declaration here, right? He's telling a story. He's making a point, right? It is, he's tying into a proverb that farmers used at the time in this region, that the smallest seed was the mustard seed, yet it grew into this epic bush or tree. A mustard seed is incredibly small. We have a, a picture of that. You can just see in relation to a human hand how tiny that seed is. Yet you bury that seed and over time it breaks open and breaks out into a large bush or tree. So big that many different kinds of birds could could take refuge and, and live in its branches. You can see a man there and just how big a mustard tree gets. And and Brandon High brought this up after the first service. Actually, what's really noteworthy about this too, it's a lesson in and of itself, is that not only does this small seed grow into a big tree, it grows in places that seem inhospitable. It grows in harsh environments, yet this little thing can not only grow big and thrive, it it grows big and it thrives in places other plants often don't. This is what the kingdom of God is like. God uses small things to bring about great impact. Small things in the hands of God can become quite incredible and grand and large. And he takes small, humble things and brings about growth and life and impact in ways that we could never, ever imagine. See, I think it's helpful to put us among and in the place of the disciples here hearing this parable. Because if you read their, their you know, conversations and what they're saying and their expectations in the Gospels, they struggled with the apparent smallness of the impact of Jesus because they expected a different type of kingdom to come in a different type of way. And so they think Jesus is going to be a, an earthly king. He's just merely going to overthrow kind of the rule and the oppression of Rome and rein, reinstate this earthly kingdom of Israel. And that's just way too small of a mission for Jesus. He's doing something way bigger. But as a result, they see some things and they're discouraged. And he'll, he'll teach a, a huge crowd, and they're thinking, hey, this is going to be our army. This is, this is going to be the group that's going to bring about this rebellion, this earthly kingdom to overthrow Rome, and yet Jesus is speaking in parables, and, and it's hard to understand, and people are not moving towards him, but their hearts are hard because they just wanted to receive something from him, and they go away. And then the disciples are looking around at each other, being like, this is it? We look around at this kind of ragtag motley crew of followers, and this is supposed to result in some kingdom, and Jesus is supposed to be some sort of king. I think about the moment this must have been—the uh, moment that must have been their lowest—which is just at the crucifixion itself. I mean, how many of them had had left and abandoned him except for John? And his mom, Salome, and and Jesus' mom, Mary, and Mary Magdalene, there's like four, five, the thief on the cross, there's five followers of Jesus at the time. People that are saying, I'm with you, I believe in you, or at least they're still mourning and haven't left his side. And you have a king who who seems to be a a mockery of a king. He's dying and he's got a, a crown of thorns. It doesn't look like there's much of a kingdom and he doesn't seem like he's much of a king in that moment. And yet, what is God doing? He's doing something that will change the world and save our soul. See, we may find ourselves in the place of the disciples, thinking like, "Is this it? Is this the kingdom?" can look at the news or we can look at the state of the church and think like, is, is this supposed to do something? Is this supposed to be a group of people that is, is supposed to change something? And It doesn't look like we can change anything. And yet what Jesus is saying to our hearts in this parable is that, that when things appear humble and small in the hands of God, that he can change the world. That this thing that looks tiny, This tiny band of followers that he's actually going to use this this group, he's gonna work in them and through them, and his kingdom will last always and forever, and it will be a kingdom that never comes to an end. See, this parable is about hope and faith. And Jesus is saying, Hey, I may not look like much now. And and this this citizenry of king, the, the kingdom, these citizens, we might not look like much now, but you wait and see. You mark my words. This is going to be a kingdom like you've never seen before, that the earth has never seen before. And it's just, I think, encouraging to look at like historically how this parable played out. Like in 150 AD, just a little over 100 years after Jesus died and rose again, there's 40,000 by estimates of scholars and historians, 40,000 Christians on earth. That seems pretty small. 50 years later, 200 AD, 218,000 followers. That seems like it's getting better, but it still doesn't seem like a historic kingdom. 50 years after that, 1.2 million followers. 300 A.D., 6 million. 350 A.D., 33 million Christians on the face of the earth. It seems like this kingdom's taking root and growing, and the nations are coming to live in the branches and, and find refuge in a home. Fast forward, 1,900, 600 million Christians on the face of the earth. Today, 2.3 billion Christians over the face of the earth. And we might be asking ourselves, well, wait, wait, wait a minute, isn't, isn't the faith, isn't the kingdom of God, isn't Christianity, isn't it shrinking, isn't it, isn't it moving the other direction? The, the plain answer to that is around the world, no, and totally over the world, no. That in ways like never before in South America, in Asia, in Africa, the church is growing, expanding. For instance, in 1900, there were 8.7 million Christians on the continent of Africa. Today, there is 390 million. And just in the next few years, by 2025, there's expected to be 600 million Christians on the continent of Africa alone. Well, what is all this? It's, it's the reality of Jesus's promise that that small mustard seed will be planted and expand into something grand and great where the nations will come and take refuge and be a part of this kingdom that will never come to an end. So this is the deal. And this is what I think we're invited to come to grips with and explore individually and, and as a church that we all can and have and struggle with sinfully underestimating God. You see it play out in in the book of Mark in kind of profound ways. Like Mark 6, there's uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Just 5,000 men. On top of that, there's women and children. They're out in a desolate place. Jesus is teaching. He sees the crowd. He has compassion on them. He tells his disciples, Hey, I want to feed them. They're annoyed and they're like, How are we going to buy that much bread? And he takes just five loaves, a few fish, and he miraculously feeds everyone, right? He takes a little and does so much with it. But then just two chapters later, that was to the, the people of Israel, that was to Jews. A few chapters later in Mark 8, same situation, this time, this time it's with Gentiles and, and, and Greeks, people that, that aren't Jewish, but he's out in the wilderness, and he's teaching them. There's 4,000 men and more than that, women and children. Same scenario, and he tells his disciples, hey, I want to feed them. And they're like, how are we going to feed them? <laughs> right? And you're like, man, those guys are so dumb. And, but then you start to, to review your own life, and you're like, what have I seen God do? And then I forget and lack faith to see that he will do it again or believe that he can do it again how is he calling me to pray or serve or give and i forget the ways that he's been so faithful and done so much with so little and i lack faith for him to do it in this moment where are we sinfully underestimating god where is he calling us to have faith where he can take very little and do the unimaginable Following God is glorious. Being a part of his kingdom is amazing. And yet it can be really hard. And we can ask ourselves, like, "Man, will, will I ever understand? Will I see truth clearly? And in these parables, Jesus tells us, yes. You lift me high. You live in my light. You hold on to the truth you have. And you'll grow in your understanding. You'll see. We can ask, does my effort... Even matter is what I'm planting is God at work to grow. In these parables, Jesus tells us the answer is yes. We just pray, be patient, be faithful, and watch God work. Is the kingdom retreating? Is it shrinking? Is God's kingdom advancing? God, in these parables, he tells us yes. Continue to watch me take what seems humble and small, but in my hands by my power. Nothing, as Jesus has said, nothing is impossible. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that wherever we are, that uh, we would all hear you, Holy Spirit, inviting us how to respond. And we thank you that you know our hearts even more than we know our own hearts. So I pray that you would help us examine our lives today before you and that we would hear your invitation, even as we began our call to worship this morning, that we would end celebrating the truth that today, this morning, your mercies are new. Your arms are wide open. You're inviting us to run to you, to run to truth, to life, to receive grace and forgiveness. And so help us run towards you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. God's people said, amen. Amen.